Well, as you're turning to that text in uh, Luke 10, uh, I, I want to tell you a story about... Um, I want to tell you a story about uh, a boy who was, who was searching for God, who didn't know God. And he opened up this passage in Luke 10, and he read the Bible for the first time, and it jumped out at him. And, uh, and then he, he cross-referenced the passage that was read a bit earlier in um, Psalms. And, uh, well, you've heard from him today. It's, uh, it's one of our ministers. So, there's life in this words. Let's pray. God, I do ask that you would open up your life-giving word to us, that we might behold Jesus, and that his transforming presence would really take shape in our lives that we would be different for having encountered you here where you promised to be in the proclamation of your word. I pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, I'm just a Martha. I wonder if you've ever heard that. If you've been around church long enough, then you will have heard that. I'm just a Martha. Uh, I heard it actually over the last couple weeks. Someone said that. And they were talking about someone else, so they didn't say, I'm just a Martha. They said, she's just a Martha. But you get the point, right? Uh, if you don't know what that is about, uh, then uh, it's from this story that was read earlier about these two sisters, two of Jesus' uh, really close friends. And Jesus goes to their house, and one of the sisters, Martha, is, is working her fingers to the bone, and the other, Mary, is sitting there before them. And so when someone says, I'm just a Martha, they're saying, uh, I'm, just, I'm just a helper. I'm just a server. Um, I, I, just, I just work. And, and in the church, it's actually kind of like when you go to that interview and they ask you, uh, what's your greatest weakness? And you say, I'm just a perfectionist. I just work too hard. You know, it's, it's kind of like, it's the one confession that we can say in the church. It's like really, really, it's our, it's our humbrag. It's our humbrag. Hashtag, hum, I wanted to create a shirt this week that said, I'm just a Martha on the front, on the back, hashtag humbrag, right? Because it, it's this kind of confession, oh, I'm weak, you know, I'm just a Martha. But it's also kind of a brag, like, and I'm doing a lot for Jesus, Right? Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I just work really hard, and I'm too committed to my work, so you should hire me. Well, I'm just a Martha. We've been on a series in Abiding in Christ, and we're finishing up that series today. It's just been a little short series, and I, I wanted to do this series because I sense that we're entering a new phase as a church. And even if we're not entering a new phase as a church, I at least feel like I'm entering a new phase in my ministry. It was 10 years ago, really this month, that I was called by this church to minister here. And I just finished a sabbatical. And as I come back in and enter the next decade of ministry, I want to ask, what is, what's really important? So really, this, you know, this is a selfish sermon series. It's for me. But maybe it'll help you as well. Because I want to figure out uh, what needs to take priority. And I don't think there's anything more vital in ministry than abiding in Christ. 
And I think that's what this passage is talking about. See, this passage is in the middle of two other really, really famous passages. One's called the Good Samaritan. Whether you grew up in the church or not, you've heard of the Good Samaritan because we have a Good Samaritan law. Uh, And it's the story about ministering for Jesus and serving others and being a neighbor. But then right after that story, Luke inserts this story about the one thing that is necessary amongst all the choices you make. And he says the one thing that's necessary is not doing all this stuff, but sitting before Jesus. And then he follows that with with teaching on prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And I think what these these stories are set up to say is to tell us that amongst all the decisions that we can make, amongst all the choices that we make, amongst all the, the necessary things that there are to do, there's one thing above all else that is most vital, and that is connecting with Jesus. Connecting with Jesus. And so this morning, I just want to look at two things. I want to look at barriers to connecting with Jesus. And then I want to look at the hope of connecting with Jesus. So first, the barriers to connecting with Jesus. And the first barrier that we see in this passage is distraction. Did you notice Mary is connecting with Jesus, but Martha is not. Why? Verse 40 tells us it's because she was distracted. Verse 41, Jesus says that she is anxious and troubled over, quote, many things. I heard one preacher say, That when we look at the world, we can see that people are exceedingly busy. Well, I actually didn't hear that preacher say that because it was Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century. Well, we were exceedingly busy in the 18th century. How much more so now? We have so many things that are flying at us, so much information that is flying at us all the time. I mean, there's the things that we have to know and do for work. There's the things that we have to know and do for parenting and and keeping up our houses. And there's the volunteer work. And then there's just all the news to keep up with in the world. I mean, there's just so much that it's easy to get distracted. You ever feel like that? I feel like I'm distracted a lot. This week, I had a particularly bad day. So on Thursday, I lost, I kid you not, my keys and my wallet. And I don't mean like misplace them, like, oh, where are they? Are they in the kitchen or is it on my desk? No, I lost them. Like I ended up finding the key at a restaurant I didn't even go to. Seriously. I mean, I was just distracted. What distracts you? You know what I think distracts me a lot? My phone. I was, uh, in his book, Secularosity, David Zoll talks about uh, this funny story about how he, he musters up the courage. He listens to, he, he puts on, he's in the parking lot. He's mustering up the courage. He's got like, sweaty palms. He, uh, he puts on some motivational music, and then he walks into his local cell phone store to trade in his smartphone for a flip phone. 
And he says, the decision didn't come about easily. Listen to what he says. He says, the polite explanation involved wanting a bit more mental space. But the honest truth was that I didn't have the self-restraint not to check the thing at every stoplight and during every trip to the bathroom. Even watching television had become a two-screen experience. What sealed the deal was when my four-year-old drew pictures of everyone in the family taking extra care to place a phone in my hand. That, he says, felt the opposite of good. Well, I wonder how many of us can relate. If really, like, if you were going to describe us on a normal day, in a normal time, we might have a cell phone in our hands. I read a study that said that one in five people, one in five people, have dropped their smartphones in the toilet. Now think about that for a second. The, the, the article goes on, please consider this for a moment. In the average family of five, it is likely that one of them has taken his or her smartphone into the bathroom and then, for reasons that would surely cause ordinary minds to boggle without pause, allowed it to slip into the watery beyond. And I know some of you have. And there's no judgment here. It is only by the grace of God that my cell phone has, that I've done rim shots and it's landed on the outside of the toilet and not the inside of the toilet, okay? There's no judgment here. I'm with you. I'm tethered to my phone. I take it to, we take our phones to the bathroom. We are crazy, y'all. We are crazy. But as humorous, as ridiculous as we are, it's not really benign. Sherry Turkle, who has done the most research on uh, the effect that our technology is having on our interpersonal relationships, she notes that it takes the average conversation at least seven minutes before it can move past the benign into something that's more substantial. That actually, uh, during the first seven minutes of conversation, we're usually rehearsing, like, we're rehearsing the, the banalities of the world. We're talking about our schedules and the weather and whatnot. But, but somewhere past the seven-minute mark, we have an opportunity to actually get vulnerable, to go deeper, to talk about something that really matters to us. We can make a bid. But she says, the sad thing is that our devices and our alerts are distracting us and deterring us from ever reaching that mark. We end up hitting reset. In other words, what she's saying is that because we are distracted by our, by our devices, we're unable to connect with those that are right before us. And listen, I know this. I mean, how many times have I had to say to my wife or my daughter, I'm sorry I didn't hear that. I missed that. Because I was finishing a text or buried in my phone. And as tragic as that is, I think there's something more tragic. If my devices are distracting me enough where I'm not connecting 
with the family members who are present before me. You better believe that they're distracting me from connecting with Jesus as well. How many times have I said to Jesus, sorry Jesus, I missed that. I didn't hear that. I wasn't sensitive to that because I'm distracted. And it's not just that I miss his invitations or his imperatives. I miss his beauty and the wonder that is there before me. We were driving down the highway when we were on sabbatical, and I remember uh, Pam and Eve pointing out something, and I was in the passenger seat. I was in the passenger seat, but I was like working on finishing an email or something like that, and I was like, hold on one second, and then they saw some of this glorious thing outside in nature, and they talked about it the rest of the afternoon, and I totally missed it. And he was like, remember that? And I'm like, well, I remember the moment, but I didn't see it. Andy Crouch wrote a book that's called The TechWise Family that I commend to you. But one of the actually best parts of this book is in the beginning of the book, uh, there's a preface, and the preface is written by his teenage daughter, Amy. And Amy writes, Technology promises that it can provide wonder. Take a picture with the proper filters and you will be awestruck. It will look better than real life. But this promise is deceptive, she says. My iPhone's wonder generators turn out to be distractions from the things that really spark wonder. Like the images of God that are all around us. And I think the problem is deeper than that. I don't think that we just miss the wonder and the beauty and the creation that's around us. I think we miss the fact that these only reflect the deeper beauty, the source of all beauty, who is Christ, who plays in 10,000 places. And we miss the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. We miss the one thing. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I do seek, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and dwell in his house forever. Martha is distracted from the one thing, but Mary gets it. One thing I have asked of the Lord, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. You are distracted by many things, but one thing is necessary, connecting with Jesus. And Mary connects with Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is all around us? He, he is God. His presence is all around by his spirit. Jesus is certainly in church. Jesus is certainly in the sacraments. Jesus is in your car. Jesus is at your work. Jesus is in your home. Jesus is on your run. Jesus is at the bar. But do we sense him? Or have we become so distracted that our ability to be attentive and to contemplate and to connect has been diluted, depleted, 
What's distracting you? What was it that was distracting Mary? I mean Martha. Well, verse 40 tells us that she was distracted with much serving. Note well that Martha is not distracted by a bad thing. She's distracted by a good thing. She's distracted by much serving. And this word serving here is the same word that we get from which we derive our word ministry. Martha is distracted by ministry. And there's a deep irony and a deep tragedy here. It's like um, I was watching this show one time, and in the show, it had this scene that was uh, describing kind of millennials. And even though I'm not millennial, I, I'm not a millennial, I, I relate to it a lot. And it's these two guys, and one looks at the other and he says, hey, what do you think about tacos? And the other one looks at him and he says, tacos sound great. And he said, okay, I'll do some research. And so he begins to search through Yelp and do internet searches on the best tacos and read all these food reviews on the best tacos. And then he's texting his friends on the best tacos. And then finally, after doing all the research and reading all the reviews, he figures out, this is the place. Let's go. And they get there, and it's closed. And I was like, oh, man, I so relate to that because... uh, so often, Pam and I are looking for the best coffee shop or the best, and I, like, I am like, I'm on Yelp, and I'm, ser- I mean, I'm a researcher, and not just like ancient antiquity stuff or Paul, like I do that, but like, I really research, like, I research food places and this because I'm going to get to the best thing, because if we're going to go out and spend our money, we're going to do it. But then what happens is, after I'm done researching, we're like, yeah, it's kind of too late to take Neve out now, right? And so I guess we'll just have to do leftovers, right? And the irony of it and the tragedy of it is that I'm working so hard to get this taco or this food or whatever, the best thing, that I don't actually get any of it. Martha's working so hard for Jesus. And it's the very thing that keeps her from connecting with Jesus. I wonder if you can relate. Don't confuse being around Jesus with being with Jesus. Don't confuse living for Jesus with listening to Jesus. Because they're not the same. Don't mistake service for connection. Well, how do you know? How do you know if you've mistaken service for connection? Well, look at Martha's reaction. In verse 40, she has, well, she's had it. And she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. What's going on here? What Martha is saying to Jesus when she says, do you not care? Is she saying, Lord, don't you see me? And Lord, don't you see her? And Lord, this is unjust. This is unfair. And I want you to do with your mouth what I have already done in my head. I want you to condemn my sister and vindicate me. And she's resentful and judgmental. You want to know how you can tell if you're not connecting with Jesus, but you're just serving him? 
You carry around a judgmental spirit. We carry around a judgmental spirit where we start to resent others when they don't believe or act as we think that they should believe or act. See, here's the thing about Martha. Martha's keeping score. And she thinks that she's upset with Jesus because he's not tallying the points right. He's giving himself to Mary and not to her, and Mary hasn't done the work, and he has, and she has. And she's relating to Jesus based on the scorekeeping. Pete Scazzaro, in his book, The Emotional Healthy Spirituality, says that work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated by other things, such as ego, power, needing approval of and from others. When we work for God because of these things, our experience of the gospel, listen to this, often falls off center. Our experiential sense of worth and validation gradually shifts from God's unconditional love for us in Christ to our works and performance. And here's what happens. The joy of Christ gradually disappears. That's Martha. She's scorekeeping and the joy of Jesus has disappeared. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. What are the many things? I don't think the many things are the much serving. I don't think that the many things that she's anxious and troubled about are the much serving. I actually think that the much serving is because she's anxious and troubled about the many things. See, why is it that Martha can't sit still before the Lord like Mary? Why is it that she can't be silent and by herself? Why is it that she can't listen? Well, let me ask you. Why do you have a hard time sitting still before the Lord? Why do you have a hard time in silence and in solitude without distractions or buzz or anything else? Is it not that there is something going on within anxiety and a turmoil that you have to actually come face to face with this before the one who sits there, the judge of all the earth. I know it is for me. You see, sometimes the hard truth is it's not just that we are distracted. We choose distraction. Why do we incessantly, mindlessly scroll through social media posts aimlessly? Why do we anxiously eat? Why, why do we obsessively clean? Why are we so restless? See, 
So the reality is, is that we are distracted and we often choose distraction. And it's easier to stay busy than to be with Jesus. It's easier to serve Jesus than to sit before him. So that's the first barrier, distraction. The second barrier that we see in this text, though, is expectations. First, there are the cultural expectations. One of the things that's really important to note that probably won't come out to you in this text, but when the text describes Mary, it is describing her as a student of a rabbi sitting before the feet of Jesus. And here's the thing that you need to know. In the ancient world, women were not students of rabbis. But Mary has enrolled in his school. In other words, as one person told me, she is breaking up the old boys club. And there's still a lot of old boys club around. But Mary says, I don't care. Because I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't care what the cultural expectations are. I'm a student of the rabbi. Not only does she have to overcome these cultural expectations to be with Jesus, but she also has to overcome the expectations of others. I mean, Martha is fuming, and I'm sure Mary feels it. And for Mary to sit there before Jesus, she has to say, Martha, I know you're upset at me, and I know I've disappointed you. And I love you, but I'm not going to live according to your law. I'm not going to live according to your expectations because it's more important for me to be with Jesus. You know, if we are going to be with Jesus in this frenetic time where everyone expects everything immediately and us to do everything and say yes to everything and answer everything immediately, we are going to have to disappoint some people to be with Jesus. We're going to have to say no. We're going to have to say delay. We're going to have to do that for this to take priority. In a culture where busyness is a fetish and rest is considered sloth and stillness is laziness, people will not understand our prioritizing silence and solitude. They won't understand our stillness, but be still we must. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing comes through activity. But some knowing can only be reached through inactivity. There's also another expectation. See, Martha's going to have to overcome some expectations as well. Not only these expectations, which she would have to overcome, but Martha would have to overcome those expectations that she placed on herself, that she thinks Jesus is placing on her. She's going to have to overcome all the expectations of scorekeeping that she said that she has to do and have to fulfill in order to be with Jesus. Well, how is she going to do it? How is... How is Martha going to overcome these? How is Mary going to overcome these? How are we going to overcome these barriers? Well, that brings us to the hope of connecting with God. 
Now let's start in verse 42. In verse 42, Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now this term, good portion, you need to know two things about it. First, it's kind of a play on words. Portion is how you talk about a meal, right? So we still use this today, you know, eat your portions, right? Portion is a meal. And so what Jesus is saying is, as as Martha is working to prepare a meal, uh, Jesus is saying, listen, Mary's meal is more important than Martha's meal. Mary's meal will give lasting sustenance, whereas Martha's will not. Mary's meal takes priority. The sustenance that stays with you is not through serving, but through sitting. You will deplete your resources if you serve only. You're only filled up by sitting. It's through stillness, not through striving. Only those who wait quietly on the Lord have their strength renewed. Or as Isaiah 30 verse 15 so eloquently puts it, in quietness and rest is your salvation. Mary has chosen the good portion. But this term good portion, it actually uh, also likens back to anyone who's familiar with the Old Testament would know that this comes up over and over again in the Psalms and in places like Lamentations where it says, the Lord is my portion. And this goes back to the book of Numbers where the land was divvied up to the Israelites and the various tribes got various parts of the land. But the Levites, they did not get a piece of land divvied up to them. The Lord said, no, I will be your portion. In other words, what God was saying to the Levites is, I will be to you what the land is to everyone else. And what was the land? Stability? Sustenance? Comfort, security, status, wealth. I am your wealth. I am your status. I am your sustenance. I am your security. And when you know that, when you have that sustenance, that security, that status, that's how you're able to say, Martha, I love you, but I don't care what you think about me. I care more about being with Jesus. That's how you're able to overcome that. And Mary knew that her portion could not be taken away. Look at verses 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Which implies something else that there's hope here for Martha too. Because if Mary's chosen the portion that will not be taken away, then what will happen to Martha's portion? See, that's a portion that will be taken away. See, what happens to Martha when all her anxious strivings come to an end? What happens to Martha when when all her guilt management systems eventually break down and break her down, what happens then? What happens when it leaves her empty? Where does she find herself? Sitting before a gracious Savior. 
who sees her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Who sees her, but is not keeping score. And that's the good news. That is the good news. That when Martha finds herself still and alone before the face of Jesus, she finds a Savior who is not keeping score because he already kept the score. He already settled the score. He sank into the silence, the deep and awful silence of high noon on Good Friday, and he felt all the existential angst that she feels with all of the rest of humanity, all of our sin and our restlessness before the God of all things. Because of these things, the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone, he sat there in the silence and in the stillness before God, and he had nothing to cover him and no distractions. He was naked. He was exposed. He had nothing to cover him that he might cover us, that we might sit quietly before him, unashamed, and gazing upon his beauty. See, there's hope for Martha. This text is not, it's not about first and foremost, making the right choice so that we can connect with God. It's about God breaking in and choosing to connect with us like it connects with Martha that day. So how do you know if you're just serving Jesus or if you're connecting to Jesus? How do you know if you're actually growing and abiding in Christ? Well, here's how you know if you've actually been with Jesus you sense your need for him is greater. And you sense that his grace is available. That he's not keeping score. You have a deeper realization that you need Jesus' grace, but you also have a deeper realization that his grace is there. And it's given without regard to worth. Well, I'm just a Martha. Busy, distracted, anxious, troubled, with a schedule that leaves me often resentful and broken. And when I keep coming to my limits, when my guilt management systems keep breaking down, I also keep finding a gracious Savior there who has settled the score. May you find him there as well. Amen.